Paul has taken the Galatians on quite a journey in the letter that we've been reading. Uh, we've been in this series now for about eight weeks, and Paul has been giving all kinds of different lines of argument to the Galatians, really to show them why they need to be undivided and to show them all the implications that come from that and all the reasons why that's true. And he's used a lot of different lines of argument. He's talked about the faith we share and the table we share and um, all sorts of the freedom that we share and the fact that we're one in Christ and the word and the spirit that we share. Many, many different ways of appealing to the church to be undivided. And throughout the series, what we've been doing is trying to connect the things that Paul is addressing with the real issues in our world and say these overlap and they're similar, but they're also not quite the same. So what Paul is dealing with in Galatians is what we've called ethnic boasting. The idea that you can, on the basis of your ethnicity and particularly circumcision, that you can boast over and against other races and say, other, other ethnic groups rather, and say, this, you need to become like us if you really want in. And that's particularly expressed through table fellowship, eating together, and circumcision. And in our world, we say, well, actually, that's not quite the issues we're facing. But what we're facing in our world is issues of racism, which didn't exist in Paul's world, because the category of race, as we understand it now, hadn't been developed or invented yet. Um, but but we've, it's very much an issue in our world, and it wasn't in Paul's. And so what we're trying to do is sort of bring together these two wheels, and sometimes joining the dots is quite straightforward. And sometimes it's much harder. So it is quite simple, for instance, to say, well, look, based on scripture, here is why racism is utterly opposed to the gospel. That's quite easy to show from throughout what Paul says in Galatians and many other books in the Bible as well. Here's how you confront racism. Here's why racial division is caused by spiritual powers and not just individual choices. And lots of other examples, which hopefully have come out clearly as we've gone through this letter. But there are other times where joining the dots between Paul's world and ours is a bit harder. So because categories of race and racism didn't exist in Scripture, they've been invented more recently by European people, but they're very highly charged terms today. And as a result, it can be tricky to define them in ways that everyone agrees, oh yeah, that's what I mean by that word. And so some of you have probably found that, as we, I know we have, because we've been talking about it in groups or in our seminar. And we, you think, hang on, you're using those words, race, racism, in a way that's different from the way I'm using them. And it's difficult, if you like, to have a conversation about Scripture when terms that don't appear in Scripture are being used widely within the same church. And so some people will use the word racism only to refer to specific personal expressions of hatred towards people from other racial groups. So they'll say, if I say a particular kind of thing or I express a particular kind of stereotype or if I do something hateful, I am being racist and that's something that I do as an individual. And if I don't do those things, then I'm not being racist. That's the way many of us would use the word. And many of us would use the word differently. We'd say, no, our entire social system has been formed according to a racial hierarchy developed by and for the benefit of white people. And the system is racist, even if the individuals within it are very nice people and might not even be aware of how they're perpetuating that system. So an example I often use in, to help people understand the second one, some of us are like, what? That's, that sounds strange. But an example I often use is uh, that you may have seen this, the 
a study done on the language used by football commentators when they're praising players. You might say, well, that's a bit trivial. Maybe it is, but that's partly the whole point is it just demonstrates that racialized system. And football commentators are far more likely to mention the physical attributes of black players and the intellectual attributes of white players. So what happens is they find you're six times more likely to use certain words like talking about people's pace or power or strength if they're black and a lot more likely to use words like intelligent or creative or hardworking if they're white. I don't think the football commentators are personally hateful towards people of color or anything like that. In many ways, that's the whole point. What's happening is they are expressing, unaware that they are, expressing a racial system that is embedded in throughout society. And it's just worth being aware of that. And so particularly if you use the word quite differently, think, oh, I feel you say racism is that, but other people are using it to mean this. It's helpful to be aware that that word is one of the complicating factors in a series like this. And in fact, because it doesn't appear in scripture, we can't pick out the, a Bible verse and say, ah, that's what racism is. It doesn't work like that. And so a crucial question we have to wrestle with is, if that racial hierarchy exists, however aware of it or, or not I am, however complicit in it or not I am, if it exists, and it does, and if it is at work shaping the lives of people in our community and this church, and it is, what are we going to do about it? How do we respond to it? Let's read Galatians chapter 6, beginning at verse 1. Brothers and sisters, if anyone is caught in a transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he's something when he's nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbour. For each will have to bear his own load. One who is taught the word must share all good things with the one who teaches. Don't be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let's not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we don't give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let's do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. See what large letters I'm writing to you with my own hand. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. But far be it from me to boast, except in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but new creation. And as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers and sisters. Amen. This is the word of God. Chapter 6 
contains three paragraphs which direct the Galatians to respond practically to what Paul has been teaching theologically. So if you like, he's taken them on this journey through five chapters of explanation of why it is they need to be undivided and how the law relates to grace and all sorts of things. And then in chapter six, he really gives a a whole sequence of practical things that the church need to do to live in the good of all that he has taught them. And he focuses on what we carry, verses one to five, how we persevere, verses six to 10, and where we boast, verses 11 to 18. What we carry, how we persevere, and where we boast. So first of all, notice what we carry. And that sounds like a strange image, but this is what Paul does in two different ways in in these verses. In verse two, he says, bear or carry one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Carry one another's burdens and as you do that, you will fulfill the law of Christ. The law of Christ, as we saw in chapter five, verse 14, is the command to love your neighbor as you love yourself. And so he's saying, if you carry one another's burdens, you fulfill that beautiful law, which is the Christ law, which is you've got to love other people the way you want to be loved yourself. And the way we fulfill that is to carry each other's burdens. Now that applies to all Christians, all of the time, over all sorts of issues, right? You want to love your neighbor as yourself, carry their burdens. But when it comes to race, I think there are particular applications here for white people like me to carry the burdens of our brothers and sisters of color who have often in the history of the church carried it alone and for far too long. So I just want to make, just for a moment, make just a few applications that I think might broadly apply elsewhere as well, but I think specifically applications that might serve those of us who look like me. Firstly, learning on this issue, reading books, listening to podcasts, studying history, watching films and TV, uh, following people on social media, however it works for you, however you basically learn and engage with issues in the world, all of those tools can help to engage in just effectively bearing the burden of historical knowledge and present knowledge, awareness of what's going on, awareness of how things, how racial issues work even in the UK today, awareness of what our history is. Learning can be a way of bearing burden so you're not continually having to ask somebody else to tell you everything about what they've experienced, but you can access some of those things for yourself and learn. I just That can be a helpful way of bearing other people's burdens. Secondly, challenging. Speaking directly to confront injustice. Confronting injustice shouldn't be left to the victims. You see, Paul, as we've seen in this letter, Paul wasn't excluded by Peter's sin when Peter said, oh, I'm going to separate from the Gentiles. Paul's a Jew, so he could have eaten with them as well. He wasn't directly affected by it, but he confronted it anyway because he said, this is not the way the church is supposed to be. I want to stand on behalf of victims and confront, even if I'm not personally affected. And that can be a powerful way of bearing one another's burdens in the church. Stand, speak, march, whatever it may be, but to engage and actively represent that which other people suffer and to challenge it when you see it. Thirdly, repenting and we have talked to we talked about this briefly and we just want to say when it comes to repentance i don't believe and we don't believe as a church that you can repent for things that you haven't done right so i'm not someone who believes i should repent for what my great 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 grandfather did or let alone someone else's great 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 grandfather but what i do believe the bible teaches is that like someone like nehemiah and there are other examples what i can do is i can see the sin of my ancestors and i can use it as a lens through which to review my own life and say Where do I share that sin? Where is that also characteristic of me and then repent of that? To effectively say, 
I have sinned in this way, like my ancestors did too, and I need to repent for that. And there is a call on us to do that. And it might just be something we will return to even in closing at the end of this meeting and just to ask for God's forgiveness where we have fallen short. Fourthly, sacrificing. Sacrificing, giving things up. Carrying one another's burdens may well involve laying down privileges that we have, could be access or money or power, whatever it is, in order that someone else might be lifted up. So someone, you're, in, you're at work, somebody else has been overlooked for a role you think they would be able to do well, but you'd quite like to do it as well. And sometimes sacrificing might mean that person's from a different ethnic group than me, and lifting them up actually might matter more than me having the, the role I want. That might be an example. It's a way of just laying down, a little example of laying down something that I might want for myself in order to help lift someone else up. And that sacrifice might cost you might be painful, but in doing it, serving and elevating someone else whose community or whose history might mean they're less likely to get the role than you. You notice it in the story of Zacchaeus, don't you? That when Zacchaeus repents, he immediately says, and because of my repentance, it's now going to issue forth in sacrifice. I'm going to give up all this money. I'm going to pay back anybody I've stolen from, and I'm going to give away half my money to the poor. And Jesus says, that's great salvation's come to this house. He doesn't say, oh no, Zacchaeus, don't worry about giving anything. But it's all just about a heart thing. He says, no, that's wonderful. Salvation has come to this house today. And fifthly, listening. Now this, I trust, is something we've been doing a lot of in this series. I know uh, hundreds and hundreds of us have been doing this a lot. But one of the hardest things that we can do, and actually one of the most important things we can do, is simply when the subject of race comes up, not to be hasty to respond, not to be defensive, not to feel prickly about it, but instead to be, like James 1.19 says, quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. I think Steve said at the start of the series, that's the, just the framework we want to use for how, as a church, we approach this issue. And it's so wise, um, and obviously it's biblical wisdom for us. And so I just think those are a few examples of ways in which we, but all, we can all do it, but I'm particularly wanting to apply this to white folk in the church, like myself, that we are to bear one another's burdens. But Paul also says, interestingly, verse 4 and 5, but let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor, for each will have to bear his own load. So one moment he's saying, carry one another's burdens, and the next moment he's saying, you've got to carry your own burden. In other words, for all that I've just been saying, there is a sense in which all of us are responsible before God for carrying our own loads in the spiritual, in the Christian life. And ultimately, I need your help and you need mine, but I am responsible for my own spiritual walk. And there are many practices that it is actually important for me to do, even if I think I need other people's help on all sorts of other things. There are things that only, actually only I can do for myself, like I can repent of my sins. I can forgive other people of the things that they've done to me. I can pray. I can read scripture. I can be part of the church. I can be part of a, in our case, part of a group, part of the community on Sundays. I can come to communion. I, I can do the things that really no one else can do for me, but I need to do them as a way of bearing my own load. So there is something we carry for one another, and there's also something we carry for, in each, uh, for ourselves. And Paul draws out both in the same passage. Carry one another's burdens. And also we've all got to carry our own load as well. So Paul begins by talking really next steps. Like what are we going to do about all the stuff we've done in this series? Well, we're going to consider what we carry in order that we might be undivided. 
And then Paul moves on in verses 6 to 10 to remind us of how we persevere. So what we carry and then how we persevere. How do we keep going? How do we find the resources that will sustain us in a long and gradual and often painful process? Because we want to come to this with a spirit of faith and say, we can do this, church. We can. We can do this because God is with us. But where are those resources? What is it that God has given us to help us in what can often be a long process and a hard process for us? And the short answer to that question, how do we persevere, is by the word and the spirit. And we touched on this last week. One who is, and Paul says it again in this section here, verse 6, one who is taught the word must share all good things with the one who teaches. Don't be deceived. God isn't mocked for whatever one sows, they will also reap. All the resources we need are in the word. So we don't have to go. We can often find ways of clarifying and sharpening our understanding of the word by referring to other things. But actually in the word of God is all we need for life and godliness. And we can consult the word and say, this is actually the framework we need. This confession of sin, repentance, forgiveness, unity and communion, all these things, they're all in the word. And so actually we've got to come first and foremost to the word to, to give us the strength to persevere and for the insights we need to walk this path. But at the same time as the word, we also have the gift of the spirits and his fruit and his power at work in our lives. Verse eight, for the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the spirit or from the Spirit reap eternal life. In other words, you can sow to the flesh or sow to the Spirit, but you can't do both. You can, if you like, walk in the, in the flesh or walk in the Spirit, but you can't do both. And I've used this illustration before, but it really helps me. I hope it might help you. That there's a, the flesh-spirit distinction is huge in Paul, and particularly in handling issues like there are in Galatia. And I think for us in our day, handling issues of race. You can do it in the flesh and fail, or you can do it in the spirit and succeed. And God wants us, brothers and sisters, to contend in the spirit and not in the flesh. And the analogy I often use is the difference between rowing and sailing. See, rowing is using the flesh, it's using the muscle. Mine are not as impressive as I'd like them to be. Anyway, you use the muscles and you're using all your force. And of course, you can get somewhere, but you can't get far. And it's incredibly exhausting and ultimately ineffective in a storm. So you can use the flesh or you can use the spirit. You can put up your sail and you can harness the power of someone greater than you to take you where he wants you to go. Now, what happens if you give up the flesh for the spirit, you lose some control. Because you're not actually in control of everything that happened. Because I can't govern the wind and I can't govern the spirit. But ultimately, I have access to a power that I would never have if I was powered by my own flesh. And so I have to surrender my agenda to the power of the spirit and do things his way. But when I do, I succeed. And when I try and retain control by my own flesh, I fail. Now, that you might think, well, that sounds lovely. Let's surrender to the spirit. Great. Who wouldn't want to sow to the Spirit and reap eternal life? But what on earth does sowing to the Spirit mean? What are you talking about? And the answer is found, I think, in last week's passage, and then Paul peppers it throughout this week's passage. The idea is that as we keep in step with the Spirit and we bear the fruit of the Spirit. So, In other words, what sowing to the Spirit looks like is bearing the fruit of the Spirit that we considered last week. We will only persevere in our struggle against racial injustice in the church and in the world 
to the extent that we keep in step with the Spirit and bear the fruit of the Spirit. We will only keep going in the battle against racism to the extent that we bear love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, rather than the works of the flesh, hatred, discord, jealousy, rage, factions, division, envy. And Paul listed them in the passage we looked at last week because he's trying to draw that contrast for us and say, the spirit produces this stuff and that helps you become undivided, united. The flesh produces this stuff and that makes you more divided and more separated. And then Paul in chapter six does something really clever. I don't know if you noticed as we read the passage, but he, what he does is he takes the fruits of the spirit and he weaves them all the way through the passage we just, we've just read in chapter six. So in verse one, he says, restore him in a spirit of gentleness. It's one of the fruits of the spirit. He then says, keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted, which is a call to self-control. He says, fulfill the law of Christ, which of course we know he says is, what that means is love, love your neighbor. It's another fruit of the spirit. He says, share all good things with the one who teaches, which is a form of kindness, sharing and giving of yourself to somebody else. He says, let's not grow weary of doing good, which is a call to patience. He says, in due season, we will reap if we don't give up, which is a call to faithfulness. He says, as we have opportunity, let's do good to everyone, a call to goodness. And he says, as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. Verse 16. In other words, eight of the nine fruits of the Spirit are weaved into this concluding chapter. The works of the flesh create factionalism. The fruit of the Spirit makes us undivided. And that's how we persevere in a, in a battle and a struggle that can feel very draining. We do it powered by the wind of the Spirit and not by the works of the flesh. Amen? So how do we respond to racism? How do we become undivided? We carry one another's burdens as well as our own. We persevere by walking in the word and the spirit. And finally, we boast only in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. Far be it from me, verse 14, to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Because neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision but a new creation. The temptation for the Galatians was what I've called ethnic boasting. That is, basing their confidence in the flesh and specifically in their circumcision. Some might even have been tempted actually to boast in their uncircumcision. To say, hey, yeah, I'm not, circum I, I'm not circumcised and that's why I can boast. But Paul says, neither of those things count for anything. Those things are fleshly markers. They don't ultimately count. They don't avail before God. Jewishness doesn't count for anything which is an astonishing thing for a Jewish man to say. Gentileness doesn't count for anything either. The world and everything in it has been crucified to me and I to the world. All that counts, the only place I can boast, is in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. Faria showed us this a few weeks ago. She said that, that doesn't mean that we don't celebrate our heritage. It means we don't boast in it. We don't find our identity there. So I think you can celebrate your heritage. I certainly do. I'm grateful to be English. So in a World Cup time, I get very patriotic. You know, I cried when the Queen died. I cheer for England and everything that goes well and, you know, lament everything that goes badly. 
The other day I went to watch a football match near my house and I was just looking out and I could see the South Downs and there's an 11th century castle behind me and I could smell pies and see people carrying beers. And I was like, I love England. I'm grateful to be English. But far be it from me to boast in it. Far be it from me to think that this is a place I can derive identity or ultimate meaning or a sense of, let alone superiority to anyone else. Patriotism, a sense of pride in your heritage is valid as long as it's gratitude, but not if it becomes superiority. And so let's walk the line. Let's celebrate and be thankful for what God has given us. That's a good thing, but not ever allow it to become a source of boasting, pride and superiority that would degrade others or place our identity in the wrong place. The world is full of boasting. Everywhere you look, people are boasting in things. I don't just mean, oh, I managed to do this amazing thing. I mean, placing your ultimate confidence in a created thing and saying, this is where I'm going to prevail because of this. People boast in their money. They boast in their career. They boast in their pension funds or their homes. They boast in their children. They boast in their values. They boast in their tolerant attitudes. They boast in their physical size. They boast in their muscles. They boast in all kinds of different things. A boast is a statement of ultimate confidence. It says, I'm going to be fine. I'm going to prevail. I'm going to win because of that thing. Land, our people, our money, our technology, our values. It might be circumcision. It might be the Royal Navy, as it was in this country 100 years ago. It might be Jude Bellingham, as it might be this week. It might be RNHS. It might be British values. All of those, they're, they're all boasts. And in the ancient world, your boast was what you claimed when you went into battle. And so you said, we're going to win because we've got Goliath. Or we're going to win because we've got chariots. Or we're going to win because we've got iron weapons. It was a way of saying, we will prevail because of this. And for the Christian, there is a boast, but it's got nothing to do with the flesh. For the Christian, you cannot boast in being Jewish or Indian or black or white or British or anything like that. You cannot place your ultimate confidence in any of those things. Instead, what we do is we boast in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we say, we're going to prevail, not because of anything about us, but because of him, because of his cross, because of his sacrificial death to cover all our sins. And because he's died, we can boast, but only in the cross. In the cross, in the death and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God who loved us and gave himself for us, all worldly boasts have crumbled and been replaced by the only thing that will stand the test of time. And there at the cross, our differences are transcended for what truly counts is new creation. Here at the foot of the cross, we become truly undivided. What I want to do is we're in a moment going to celebrate by having communion and we're going to invite you to come to the table and to celebrate the unity we have with Christ ultimately, which feeds through into the unity we have with each other. Though we are many, we are one body because we all share in one bread. But what I want to do first is to lead us in a short prayer in which particularly we can confess and repent of our sins and forgive those who sinned against us. And I was thinking about what prayer to use, and I thought, ultimately, I can't think of a, a better example than the prayer that Jesus taught us, the Lord's Prayer. So I wonder if you're able to perhaps to stand where you are now, 
And we're going to pray this together as a church community and just declare it. We'll put the words on the, on the screen so you can see which version exactly of the words we're using. And just to declare this to, together and to pray the Lord's Prayer as Jesus taught us and trust that through it he will bring healing and restoration to us. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. May your kingdom come. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.